This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. This is Dick Tracy on the case of the low hijack. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Tracy, protector of law and order. Before we listen to today's crazy adventure, I'd like to talk for a minute and ten seconds about one of the greatest figures in baseball. A man most of you have probably never seen in action, but whose name will be remembered as long as there's a living baseball fan. George Herman Ruth, the mighty babe. A sample of his greatness is the huge Yankee Stadium, which is known as the house that Ruth built. And a proof of the fact that he's known all over the world as an American idol was the Japs' battle cry as they made their suicide charges during the war. Remember it? It was down with Ruth. Of course, the Babe's famous for his unequal record of 60 home runs in a single season. His remarkable homer-hitting record includes 714 round-trippers hit in his major league career, not counting 15 smashed in World Series games. Well, in 1919, Ruth hit the longest home run on record, 518 feet. Did you know that before Babe became a terrific slugger, he was a pitching ace? That's right. Well, right now, Babe is recovering from an extended illness. He's working at a job that combines two of his chief interests, his love for youngsters and for baseball, working to make it possible for all boys to play America's favorite game under the best conditions. Now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, Tracy, in analyzing the hijacking case, came upon an important conclusion. He decided that the hijackers were operating through agents placed in the firms whose trucks were being robbed. In following out this line of thought, he went to interview Maury Bund, one of whose trucks had been involved in the previous night's raid. What Tracy didn't know was that the eccentric Maury Bund was the head of the hijacking gang. However, he and Pat got such an unpleasant reception at Maury Bund that Tracy decided not to tell what he suspected about an undercover agent. Right now, Tracy and Patton are back at headquarters. Well, Pat, what did you think of our most recent acquaintance? If you mean Maury Bund, I think he's a lulu. Well, at least he has an interesting approach to life. He certainly has. What about that washing routine he put us through? Well, I'll say this for it. It's certainly a novel way to entertain visitors. Yeah, I'll never forget that introduction as long as I live. Have you washed your face and hands, Patton? What have I, a baboon? We'll gloss over your last remark as a rhetorical question to which we both know the answer. Oh, go wash your neck. In a minute, Patrick. Well, are you taking a constitutional? No, I'm thinking. Sometimes moving my feet helps. Uh, let's go back to the guy who scared the Germans. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you want me to tell Maury Bond that we suspect his hijacking gang has another cover man planted in his store and in the Stanton Importing Company? I told you. All of a sudden, I decided not to trust him. Is that a good enough reason? Well, under certain circumstances, yes. 
Have you got something concrete to go on? Something besides just a hunch? Oh, I haven't. Well, what's this fellow's background? Oh, he's a snob of the first water. Yeah, but he's the head of a store. I thought snobs didn't soil their hands with anything as sordid as trade. Even snobs like to eat. I'll bet that's something in his house. <laughs> All right, so he runs his store because he needs money. How is the condition of his business? Is he making the kind of dough to support all those those complexes of his? Well, Pat, I'll look into his business, but I don't think we'll find much. As far as I know, he's well in the black. Okay, okay. So what are we going to do? Play games here in the office or get out and ask questions? Well, we're off on a question kick in a few moments. I want to talk to Stanton. Maybe he can tell us why it's always his trucks that get hijacked. I'll tell you why. He carries the most expensive shipments. And his shipments can be resold without being recognized. Yeah, let's give it to Stanton. Hey, 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 you don't suppose that he could be hijacking his own trucks, please? What do you mean? Well, supposing he's losing money. Then he could heist his own shipments and get the insurance companies to pay off. Yeah, that's a theory. But at the moment, there's no sale as far as I'm concerned. Why, do you have a hunch about Stanton, too? Look, if you keep on with your premonitions, there won't be any point at all to scientific crime detection. <laughs> all we'll do is play your hunches and arrest people accordingly. It's not as bad as all that, is it, Fred? Well, I guess not. Just remember that I said I don't trust Maury Bond. Then we can drop the whole subject of hunches. Why not? Let's skip to Stanton. We're on our way. Tracy's hunch about Maury Bund is dead right. And the less that Maury Bund, the head of the hijacking racket, knows about the plans and suspicions that Dick and Pat have, the safer our two friends will be. And now, Maury Bund is at his apartment, greatly concerned over the surprise visit he received from Tracy and Patton. What do you mean, Maury Bund, about throwing me and Cy heavy to the wolves? I meant it in a figurative sense. In the old days, it used to be a popular ruse when being chased by wolves to toss out one of the party to distract the animals while the others got away. Yeah, I heard of that. Tough on the guys that get tossed. Inevitably. So you mean you're thinking of tossing me to some wolves, like uh, maybe the cops, huh? That depends. You don't want to get rid of me. I'm too important in the hijacking setup. Along with your other force, I now see that you're developing delusions of grandeur. Wash your hands and face. Ah, wash it. Look, Maury Bund, I just washed them. But since then, you've been outside the room. Wash. Maybe I'd be better off with the wolves. Wash your hands and face. Wash your hands and face. Why don't you worry less about the germs and more about Dick Tracy? My mind is sufficiently flexible so that I can worry about several things at the same time. Tracy has a featured place in my ratiocinations. It sounds like a barbecue sauce. It means reasoning, you troglodyte. I know what troglodyte means. You're calling me like a caveman, or maybe even an ape. Well, all I can say is I'm the only ape around to which it is being paid $500 a week. <laughs> Sometimes you amaze me, Dead Ten. I'm going to miss you. Which brings us to a subject that I got all kinds of interest in. To wit, the wolves. Maybe we can avoid losing you. Along those lines, I will work very hard. Tracy knows something. He wouldn't tell me what. He don't suspect you of nothing more, he bunt. How could he? You're a big store owner. He ain't going to think you're in the hijacking record. I know that. I might also point out that I have not been known to leave my apartment for years. Sure, that's right. So why are you getting so excited that Dick Tracy won't tell you what he knows? Because I do not intend to give up a very lucrative activity just because the police seem to have scruples about hijacking. Yeah. Yes, it is so good, Maury. Therefore, we have to steer the police away from us. And for that reason, I want what you would undoubtedly call a fall guy. Back to the wolves again, eh? In a manner of speaking. Now, now, look. My hands and face are nice and clean. And if you stop to think for a moment, you'll know that you'd be up a tree without me, so... So? So why don't you give Cy Heavy the dubious distinction, if you'll forgive the expression, of keeping Tracy happy and the cops away from our work? And also, he don't know what troglodyte means. This is not the first time you've generously offered Cy Heavy for the sacrifice. Yeah, I know. 
but I don't want you to think in terms of me instead of him. You are beginning to persuade me. Guess that means you're going to do it, huh? Yes, I think so. We'll toss out Cy Heavy and see what kind of bait he makes. Now you're talking sense, boss. Tracy and that lud Patton will be very happy with him. But not for long, I trust. What do you mean? It is my intention that Cy Heavy and Tracy and Patton kill each other in a gunfight. Why just frame one person? Let's frame them all. Yeah, I see what you mean, Maury Bunn. And Cy Heavy's a good boy with a gun. Yeah, yeah. Should make an interesting little get-together. Your stamp of approval, of course, is all I need. Hey, how are you fixing to do it? I heard from Billy Tell a short while ago. Huh? He's still working for the Stanton Company, isn't he? Oh, very ably. Billy Tell said there's a fairly good shipment leaving their warehouse tonight. And it's going straight out. No stops to garage. So we're going to heist it. But what about Cy Heavy? That's just it, you fool. We're going to put Cy on that truck in such a way that Tracy will be sure to hear about it. Then we'll wait for results. Yeah. But how are you going to get Tracy there? By using an ancient and dishonorable device, an anonymous call. Oh, yeah, I think I see. You tell Tracy what's coming off, but Cy Heavy don't know nothing about it. Then they all meet up on the road, and it makes like the 4th of July. Eh? Mm, that's the general idea. Yeah, but supposing that Tracy smells a rat. After all, he must have heard of anomalous phone calls before. I will disregard your solecism and try to point out to you why this plan is sure to work. I'm waiting. Tracy will, of course, suspect that he's walking into a trap when he gets the phone call. But he can't be sure. He can't afford to ignore any tip. So he brings along a million cops and Cy Heavy don't do nothing but get himself killed. No, Tracy won't know exactly where the truck will be. And he won't risk other patrolmen if he thinks they might be killed. You see, Tracy has the misfortune of being an honorable man. Maury Bund, I salute you. You're a smart operator. Please, at all times, remember that. Oh, I wouldn't cross you. I'm a smart man, too, in my quiet way. Very well, then, listen. This is how you'll work it tonight with Cy Heavy and Tracy. You will proceed. Here we are, Pat. This looks like Stanton's office. Yeah, is the fellow expecting us? Yes, I phoned ahead and he's anxious to see us. He said to walk right in. His secretary's off for the day. Come in. It's Dick Tracy and Pat Patton, Mr. Stanton. Come in, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. I believe you know what I want to discuss with you. If it's what you told me over the phone, yes. You think that some employee of mine may be tipping off the hijackers when we have an important shipment going out from our warehouse. That's right. Have you any proof to back up that statement? No, I haven't. That's why I want to look at your records. You see, Mr. Stanton, the fact that in the last two hijackings, your trucks and drivers were the victims certainly would indicate that someone who shouldn't knows a great deal about your operations. Well, Tracy, I brought up my personal records for you to look at. I've also indicated the names of the people most recently employed and who'd be in a position to know of our shipments. Yes, I think that these will be of invaluable assistance, Mr. Stanton. Uh, let me see. Sweeten, Frosty, Prester, Tell. Uh, hey, what about this fellow Billy Tell? He seems to be the latest addition to your staff. He came with excellent recommendations. He's a veteran with a fine record. No, oh, I think you fellows are barking up the wrong tree. Just the same, I think I'd like to have a little talk with Billy Tell. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first, what's marriage without a father-in-law? Well, in Willie Pfeiffer's case, it would probably be perfect bliss. You see, Willie is the bashful, long-suffering hero of the Willie Pfeiffer show on the air Thursday evenings on most of these ABC stations. His father-in-law is a domineering gent whose aim in life seems to be to keep Willie happy with his presence. Well, the family frenzy started not too long ago 
When Willie's father-in-law carried him over the threshold, and Willie protestingly peeped, gee, I wish I had a mother-in-law. When Willie found a place to live for himself and his new bride, Pop suddenly discovered he was a lonely old man in a great big house, and that meant troublesome threesome instead of a blissful couple in the Piper household. We're sure that Willie wouldn't be surprised to find that Pop had been vaccinated with a phonograph needle. Seems to him his father-in-law never interrupts himself long enough to say something. In short, Willie is a grocery clerk by trade, a husband by intention, a son-in-law by circumstance. It's the funniest triangle since three was a crowd. Don't miss the tales of Willie Piper tomorrow night when it's broadcast on most of these ABC stations. And now, back to Dick Tracy. Do you know what you're to do now, deadpan? Yeah. After we slug the driver and I get Cy planted in the truck, I get a hold of Tracy on the phone. That's right. And be sure that Cy Heavy has plenty of ammunition. Will Tracy and Patton escape alive from Maury Bunn's clever trap? Better tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy. Heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. Dick Tracy is written for radio by John Ray and Everett S. Crosby. And this is George Gunn speaking. The Northwest Mounted Police. Just four words, but words that immediately bring to mind wonderful sagas of adventure. And it's with Sergeant Preston of the Mounties that Challenge of the Yukon is concerned. Challenge of the Yukon is an exciting program heard on ABC Thursday nights against the background of the vast Alaskan wilderness in which the Klondike gold rush of the 90s took place and assisted by King, his big Eskimo lead dog, Sergeant Preston tracks down criminals and follows the mysteries of disappearing travelers. For a complete half-hour adventure story you're sure to enjoy, listen to Challenge of the Yukon tomorrow night on most of these ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot. Fun surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are facts just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the low hijack. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Before we listen to today's Dick Tracy adventure, I'd like to tell you about a great man in American history who was born exactly 190 years ago tomorrow. Marie Jean-Paul Yves Gilbert de Mottier, Marquis de Lafayette. <laughs> that sounds familiar to my rugged French. Well, actually, that was the full name of the Revolutionary War hero we all know as Lafayette. 
But did you know how old Lafayette was when he came to help the American cause? Well, he married at the age of 17 and the French Army. When he heard of the revolt of the American colonies, he decided to help, and at his own expense, he fitted out a ship and sailed for this country. He arrived in the year 1777, when he was only 19 years old. After he'd been here about three months, Congress made him a major general. He had an outstanding war record, serving both as a member of General George Washington's staff and as a leader in his own right. After the British surrendered at Yorktown, he was publicly thanked by Washington. And since that time, his name has been greatly honored by Americans. That was Lafayette, a Frenchman who believed in liberty sincerely enough to fight for it, even if it was in a foreign land. Now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, Dead Sam and Cy Heavy hijacked another truck. But this truck was intended to take Cy Heavy to his death. In accordance with Moy Bond's plan to sacrifice Cy, Dead Sam anonymously phoned Tracy at headquarters and told him where he could find the stolen truck and its hijackers. Although both Dick and Sam realized that it was a trap, they had no alternative but to go. Far out on the lonely moonrise highway, they caught up with the truck. And after an exchange of shots with the desperate driver, Tracy, as a last resort, crashed into the speeding truck. But such things are hard to control. And Patton and Tracy, his foot caught beneath the twisted steering wheel, are now pinned behind their wrecked car by Cy Heavy's barrage of bullets. Any way your illiterate brain can. Did you get Cy on the truck all right? Yeah, it worked like a charm. He slugged the driver and got the truck eaten. Very good, very good. Continue. Well, I put Cy in the truck and sent him off. Here. I told him not to stop for anybody. If he runs into cops, he's to kill him. Then I assume you told Tracy the route the truck was taking. Yeah, I phoned him right away and told him the truck had been hijacked. For a change, things are working out right. Unless I miss my guess, Tracy and Patton should be dead as mackerels right now. Yeah, depressing. Hardly. With Cy Heavy and Tracy dead, there's nothing to interfere with my future operations. I feel like a celebration. Go wash your hands and face. Oh, gee, Maury Bun, won't you let me alone? Getting so clean, the fellas down the pool hall won't talk to me. I have absolutely no interest in discussing the matter further. You heard me? Go wash. Doctor, maybe since they carried out everything so good, you minded me off. I'm in a pleasant mood. Do not attempt to aggravate me. Go over there and get the germs off you. Oh, I feel like the next job I get, I ain't going to work for no guy that's scared of germs. It's too hot on the Constitution. I'm afraid you'll never have the opportunity to seek other employment. You will continue to work for me, or you will suffer Cy Heavy's face. Not only do I have to keep washing my hands and face all the time, but in between, you're threatening my life. That's enough to make a guy want to turn his race. You're very well paid. Shut up. Oh, and no one stop of everything else, I get soap in my eyes. That does it. I quit. I am not joking when I say remember Cy Heavy. All right. You talked me into it. I am now back in the table. There are times when what you substitute for reason, and that would be nothing more than low animal cunning, leads you into the paths of good judgment. That's the nicest compliment I had all day. Shall we dance? Pay attention to what I'm going to tell you. When you talk like that, means another job. You're quite right. Billy Tell reported a while ago. There's a possibility of large truck shipments going upstate soon. 
They'll be prize catches. That's the good good. Billy Tell says the shipments will be very valuable. Right now, we don't know the exact time to take off, but Billy thinks he'll know tomorrow. In which case, I don't want you to leave this apartment. We must be prepared to move fast. Don't you think you're pushing your luck more, Ivan? We hiked a lot of trucks in fashion. I didn't hire you to give advice. I'll take care of that department. What I mean is, there'll be more cops than ever out looking for hijackers. On the contrary, there will be none. Cy Heavy will be blamed for all the hijacking, and he's dead. Tracy and Patton will be buried in state for their contribution to law and order. And we can keep right on operating. You think we ought to lay low or I can't. My overhead's too great for me to stop. I have a department store that must remain stocked. I have to pay an expert to fake invoices and bills of sale and lading. And for? In order to sell the stolen goods across my counters. My whole operation depends on the manner in which I get rid of the hijacked property. Yeah, I guess you do have a lot of expenses. Yeah, I do. I also like nice things. How do you think I could afford such elegant surroundings if I stopped? Yeah, yeah, I suppose you could. Therefore, you will stand by for another job. Oh, I'm standing by. Uh, but now that Cy Heavy's dead, who am I going to have to work with me, huh? Ice and trucks ain't just a one-man job, you see. From now on, Billy Tell will work with you. Do you need anybody undercover work? He can do that, too. Now that Tracy and Patton are dead, this will be the plan for our... Eager to kill us. I'm not in favor of it. Can you get your foot out of there, Dick? Nope. Nope, can't move it at all. Yeah, you almost got him that time. They made him take cover. Good. It won't be good for long. He's got a comic running. It can make a lot of trouble. Hey, it's lucky the car rolled this way. At least it gives us protection. I don't know that you brought up the subject yet. Did you see the truck? Yeah, it's off the road, but it looks in good working order. That's not too good. I know. If he gets to the truck, he can get away from here easily. Unless I get a lucky shot at him. Yeah, there's another thing he might do. Yeah, what's that? If he gets the truck started, he could crash into this wrecked car of ours. That's a happy thought. Look, can't you get your foot out of there somehow, Dick? Not about cutting it off. The steering wheel shaft collapsed when he hit the truck. My legs caught underneath it as if it were in a vice. Oh, that's just dandy. Anything broken? No, nothing but my heart, Patrick. Hey, he's getting noisy. Can you see him, Pat? I'm going to try another quick look around the side of the car. Quiet. I have absolutely no intention of getting shot. You just relax. We're in the dark. Oh, no help in the fix we're in now. Don't worry about that either. You mean you can fix that too? Sure, I can shoot it out. Oh, brother. I take it to Sean. Yeah, did I did. Also, my unpleasant duty to report that his aim is getting better. He came close? Well, let's put this way. Quarter of an inch to the right, and I'd have gone home in a wheelbarrow. Well, we're in a spot all right, Pat. Yeah, I know. As long as that madness will keep us pinned down behind the car here, we're in very bad shape. I could only get my foot out. Yeah, then we could each get the tie. Sort of a, a divide-and-conquer routine. Yeah. Where is he now? Find the truck. Look, I'm going out and take a couple of shots at him. I don't think you should, Pat. In this moonlight, you're a sitting duck. Yeah, possibly, but even ducks get bored. I know we can't spend the rest of our lives here. That's just what we will do if you're not careful. And I might add that our lives don't look very long from where I'm sitting. But it's gloomy. I'm going home. Well, I, I'm not going out that way anyway. I'll try it around this side. I might get a break in the wheel. If you can just keep him behind the truck, it'll be a step in the right direction. I'll tell him when I see him. 
had seen. All of which means that he started down the other side of the truck. He must be headed for camp. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Look, I, I, I can't get out get a shot at him. Well, you'll get you sure. If he gets that truck going, you'll get it anyway. I think I've got the chance. <laughs> The important arms and legs seem to be in reasonable shape. Oh, what did you do? Well, I had to crash the truck into that ditch to keep it from smashing into you. You're a good man, Patrick. Oh, all this praise will go to my head. What happened to that madman who was trying to kill us? Well, I managed to get him just before he'd have got me. I died through the cat window shooting. He couldn't bring his tommy gun around in time to aim it. Well, all I can say is that it was a close one. Yeah, much closer than I like to play in Let's see if we can get the snake free now. Well, Pat, if you can get a crowbar, we might bend this wheel back and I can get out. All taken care of. I brought this heavy tire iron from the truck. Oh, good. Yep, that'll do the trick. Easy, does it, Pat? Let's not break my way. No, Chris, you know, you're going to be particular about a little thing like that, I'm going. Now, wait a minute. Just a little more. Just doing it. Oh. Good boy. Got it out. I'll tell you. How's the lake? Can you walk on it? Uh-huh. Yeah, in a manner of speaking, yes. Come on, Pat. I want to look at that truck driver. Right. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. Don't let me steady my hand on your shoulder, Pat. Right, there you are. Yeah. There he is, Dick. Oh, Pat. I've seen him before. Play it. Hanging around Maury Bunn's apartment. In a moment, we'll return to the trick thing. First? Well, first, let's talk about Lassie. Lassie, a radio star. Yes, the canine wonder of the movies has come into her own as far as radio is concerned. Because now Lassie stars in a series of stories built around her. Of course, no one expects Lassie to talk on the program. <laughs> Of course, she'll give her famous box from time to time. Incidentally, Lassie wasn't always a celebrated standout among the canine kind. She was just an ordinary pooch with the name of Pal. Her trainer taught her to sit and lie down, to speak only when spoken to, and above all, to be obedient. But there was nothing about Pal that seemed outstanding. Well, when the search for the movie Lassie began, Pal's appearance to the studio representative was so unimpressive that she was rejected without even a chance to perform. Then Pal's trainer got to work. He taught the dog to, to crawl, to attack, to keep on open doors, and even to yawn. He brushed and combed her several times daily. When he took Pal back to the studios for a second trial, Pal Lassie was hired immediately. You want to hear Lassie every Sunday in a 15-minute drama written especially for her? Lassie has heard on most of these same ABC stations. And now, back to Dick Baby. Dick, that's impossible. Maury Bunn's a respected citizen. I know, Pat. And I also know that I have no direct evidence to go on. But I think I'll have another chat with Maury Bunn. And I have a plan that may scare these boys out into the open. Tracy had better have a pretty good plan because Maury Bunn does not scare easily. Better tune in Monday for the adventures of Dick Tracy, heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is George Gunn speaking. 
For the third consecutive season, the curtain goes up on that outstanding dramatic series, Theater Guild, on the air this Sunday night. Theater Guild has set a high standard for entertainment since its initial broadcast. As a matter of fact, such was the excellence of Theater Guild's presentation that the program won a plaque when it's been on the air only 14 weeks. From then on, Theater Guild on the air received many awards. Magazines saluted it as one of the top dramatic shows on the air. Last year, it was awarded honors in a nationwide poll of radio editors. Don't miss this Sunday night's premiere performance for the 1948 season on Theater Guild on the air, broadcast over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the low hijack. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Tracy fans, tomorrow the people in the state of Maryland will observe a holiday. They call it Maryland Defenders Day. It commemorates the 133rd anniversary of the Battle of North Point, fought in the War of 1812. This battle took place during a dark point in our history. Early in the year 1814, the enemy had captured our capital, Washington, had set fire to many of our public buildings. Now they were moving on to Baltimore with the intention of burning that city, too. To defend Baltimore, the Americans were depending on two forces, one of which was a garrison of a thousand men located in Fort McHenry. The enemy approached the fort, and when they were close enough, the guns of Fort McHenry opened fire. For about 30 minutes, they put forth a cannonade so furious that the enemy fell back. And then at night, the fort was once again attacked. And once again, the enemy fell back, this time for good. You all know the story of this last attack, I'm sure. It will live forever in the words of the Star-Spangled Banner. Yes, it was the noble defense of Fort McHenry that inspired Francis Scott Key to write the song that is now our national anthem. Now, it's pretty. Yesterday, Tracy and Patton, locked in the back of a truck trailer, were driven across town by the hijackers. Dick and Pat, of course, were carrying out their scheme to trap the truck-robbing gang. But it's a scheme that has dangerously backfired because Maury Bund, the head of the hijackers, discovered that unwittingly he was holding Tracy and Patton prisoners. At the moment, Dick and Pat have no idea of the gravity of their situation. They're waiting impatiently in the dark interior of the truck theater. Uh, Richard, if you don't mind me mentioning it, waiting locked up here in this truck is beginning to get on my nerves. Tell your nerves to move over. Mine want to join them. Uh, you know, I, I just can't understand why we stood here so long. Why don't they get started and drive out of here? I wish I knew, Pat. Well, anyway, we're obviously still in the city. I know. Yes, but you don't just hijack a truck and then leave while you go to a movie or something. I'll admit it doesn't make much sense. And I'll also admit I'm worried. Uh, say, look, you don't suppose they've gotten suspicious and abandoned the truck, do you? It's always a possibility. Well, then in that case, get me a can opener. I'm going home. Oh, no, Pat, it's going to take more than a can opener to get us out of this one. You think maybe I ought to raise my voice in a loud howl? They won't hear it. This truck trailer we're in is very well built. Yeah, I know, but I suppose maybe I could pound on the walls with my gun button. Maybe I'd raise somebody. I don't think we want to raise anybody yet, Pat. Maybe the hijackers will come back. 
We'll wait all night for him. Yeah, then again, maybe they haven't got any place. Something tells me you're returning to your major theme for the night. You're absolutely right. Suppose they know that we're in here. And suppose they're planning some special kind of show in which we're going to play the star parts. But how could they get wise? Only Stanton and the driver of the truck knew. Yeah, I'm not worried about Stanton. But what about that driver? Yes. Yeah, that's the chance we had to take. If he didn't know about us being in the truck and hadn't been ordered to take a powder as soon as the truck was driven out of the warehouse, he might have been killed by the hijackers. Yeah, sure, I understand about all that. But I can still worry about it, can I? All right, if it will make you happier. No idea what a comfort it is. Yeah, the trouble with me is I just haven't enough to occupy my mind. Well, we can always play 20 questions. 20 Look, that's all we've been playing. And the game goes like this. Question 1 to 20... Who are the hijackers? I think I know, Pat. All I need is the final proof. Oh, fine. Uh, don't tell me anything. Maury Bond. Oh, Maury Bond, huh? Then you got something from examining the records of his department store business? Uh, nothing I can use as immediate evidence, but enough so that I can pretty well figure how he operates. And when do you get the final proof? I'm going to subpoena his books and bookkeeper and put a gang of auditors on him. And I'm going to track down every business firm with which he's done business. Oh, that's all just fine, but supposing you're wrong. I won't be. You just wait and see. Richard, uh, you won't be offended if I point out that all this activity is predicated on one thing, and that's on our getting out of this truck. A contingency of which I'm fully aware. Yes, but even if you get more Bunn, you still might not get the rest of the gang. Now, Pat, now it's my turn to point out something. That's why we're sitting locked in this truck trailer in the middle of the night. Touche, son. Touche. And even if tonight does turn out to be a dud, if we get Maury Bund, the gang is broken up. The small fry shouldn't be too tough. Well, you've set my mind at ease, lad, except for one thing. I know. What, what if, if Maury, Maury Bund knows, knows we're in this truck? truck? Yes. Maury Bund does know that Dick and Pat are in that truck. And right now, Maury Bund is discussing their fate with Billy Kell and Deadpan. Deadpan, will you, for goodness sake, stop walking up and down? But I'm thinking that will only add to my worries. Sit down. Or better yet, go wash your hands and face. Oh, gee, Maury Bund, they just done it. That probably was inadequate. You look septic tonight. What about Billy Kell? He looks like what you just said, too. He will also wash his hands and face again. Ah, oh, Deadpan, why couldn't you keep your big mouth from hanging open? Hurry up, both of you. Anyway, I find the sound of running water a pleasant accompaniment to concentration. Come on, Deadpan. Let's get the germs off and help the master think. Why not? Otherwise, we never get out of here to get Tracy and Pat. If I wash my feet, would it help you think? You're straining, Deadpan. Don't use yourself up before the night's over. Be sure you use the sterilized towels. I want no germs around here. We'll do everything. Look, Murray, but this doesn't seem so tough to me. We got Tracy and Patton locked in. Let's get the truck blow down and finish them off. Where is the truck now? Downstairs, across me a private entrance. What kind of truck is it? It's uh, one of them big trailer trucks I can drive them like a dream. We may be able to put your accomplishment to some use. A trailer truck. And Tracy and Patton are locked in the trailer. Why don't we move the axe out of town and just set it on fire? I don't think one of those big trailers would burn. We could scorch them plenty, though. I'm not interested in scorching them. I want to kill them. Now, in some way, I must destroy the whole truck. Eh, I've been thinking. Why don't we open the rear door and go right in after them? Don't be a fool. That's what they're hoping for. So we get them anyway? You personally will bag the two best shots on the police force? 
<laughs> that to coin a bromide will be the day. Well, I'm trying. The effort is misdirected. One thing is certain. We got to get the truck out of town before we can do ourselves any good. There, I'll go along with you. Forgive me if I think I'm trying to postpone the inevitable. What is the inevitable? That I leave my air-conditioned, germ-free apartment and go out into the filthy night air. Oh, it ain't bad. There's a full moon out tonight. I will not bandy the subject with you. But you haven't left your apartment for years. For eight years and 37 days, to be exact. What do you have to do it now for? I cannot help myself. This job must not be bungled. Well, we'll do what you tell us, sir. I'm sure you will. But in the eventuality that something goes wrong, I do not wish you to think for yourself. Sometimes you say the nicest things to me, Morgan. Don't try to be quiet for a moment. You have no idea how the thought of going out upsets me. Then why go? We'll take care of it. That's the risk. I don't dare run. If Tracy is killed, I'm completely in the clear to operate as I see fit. This murder must be done right. Well, I'm for that, but we'll do it for you. No, I'll go. I'll expose myself to millions and millions of germs and run the risk of serious infection. People have been doing that for years, Maury Bunton, and they still seem to make it home for dinner, all right? If I only had a face mask and some rubber gloves. What do you want to do, scare Tracy to death? Will you stop bothering me, deadpan? Now, uh, Billy. Yes, sir? I want you to bring my two-way amplifying microphones. What do you want that set up for? I'm going to clamp one of them on the side of the trailer. I want to be able to talk to Tracy. Oh, you're going to give him a little noodle, huh? You don't think I'm going to pass up an opportunity for a little gloating, do you? Actually, it wouldn't seem much like you. Are you man-armed? I left my Tommy gun in the truck cab. I have an automatic. Good. I shall also arm myself. Now, let me see. I have something here. Yes. Here it is. Don't forget my microphones, Billy. I won't. Uh, are we all going to ride in the cab of the truck? No. Deadpan will drive the truck, and I'll ride with him. Well, what do I do? Getting back with the dicks? You'll take my car. Here. Here are the keys. Okay. You will follow the truck. Fine. Now, what's going to happen to the truck? I'm not completely decided. But at the moment, I think that I will arrange to roll it into a river. Come on, let's go. You know, Dick, I'd like to go for a swim. I'm hot. I, I just like the feeling of water all around me. You're just a disappointed seal, Patrick. What do you mean disappointed? You ought to see me balance things on my nose. Oh, it's a little dark in here for you to do a performance right now. Oh, I have a flashlight. Shall I turn it on? No, no. I think we'd better save the batteries. We're going to need some bright lights to shoot by. Oh, you bring up an interesting point there. I shall take it under advisement. I'd appreciate it deeply. What was that? Well, it could be anything, including a hand grenade. Don't cheer me up or anything. Please, Patrick, we're off again. Well, I'm not sure whether I like it or not. Who's got the old truck now? The other hijackers are a whole new bunch. I wish you'd stop asking me questions I can't answer. After all, Pat, I'm sitting here in the same black box you are. Well, I know, Richard, but I meant it as a compliment. I just sort of assumed that you know all the answers. I wish you were right. What in heaven's name is that? There you go again with those questions, Pat. Well, well, well. So you're in there, are you, Tracy? Well, bless my great big beautiful Irish eyes if it isn't the micro I thought you might like to know where I am, Tracy, so I picked up this amplifying device. Can you hear me all right? Entirely too well. What are you doing out of your boudoir, Maury Bond? I thought you were the stay-at-home type. You two gentlemen should be extremely flattered. This is the first time I've left my apartment in over eight years. Well, now, don't get carried away. People do all kinds of things for us. Do they kill you, too? Look, we probably have a long ride ahead. Don't you think it would be more pleasant for all of us if we keep this conversation on a high intellectual plane. You think you're capable of such a discussion? Now, come, come, Maury Bond. Let's not be rude. 
You wouldn't want Pat and me to get severe with you. Allow me to suggest, Mr. Tracy, that you're hardly in a position to do anything to anybody. I'd also like to add that your condition is sheer heaven compared to what it's going to be. And I hope you get my meaning. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... Well, first, it's open house at the Paul Whiteman Club weekday afternoon. That means a solid hour of recorded hit tunes with Paul himself spinning the platters and making with the chatter. The Paul Whiteman Club is a cool spot these hot summer days. So come in, relax, and hear the records that Paul's picked out, plus a little inside information on the recording artists. Paul has worked with or known most of your musical favorites. You've seen them start and climb their way up that steep ladder of success. And naturally... He has plenty of human interest stories about them. Stories that'll make you realize that a star is just a person like you and me with the same number of hopes and worries. You know, Paul Whiteman has been called the dean of modern American music for good reason. He's been around and he's been responsible for a large portion of its growth. He was waving his baton when anti-war pleated skirts danced to Charleston and called everything jazzy. And he's right in there now, seeing the new faces swing to a new kind of tempo. Paul handles the Paul Whiteman Club with the same amount of showmanship and capability that's kept him on top. So here's an invitation to listen to the Paul Whiteman Club tomorrow when it's heard on most of these very same ABC stations. And now, back to Dick Tracy. There, I turned it off. I'm tired of talking to them. What are you going to do, Maury Bunn? Still roll a truck in a river? I'm not sure yet. This situation is such a pleasant one that I may just savor it for a while. Drive towards my warehouse... If Tracy and Pat had a deck of cards, they might amuse themselves. It would appear to be the last entertainment they'll get. Better tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is George Gunn speaking. Hey, boys and girls, to be well informed, you've got to keep up with the times. And there's a new time for the program that keeps you up with modern trends and challenging topics. Of course, it's America's Town Meeting of the Air, which is now heard every Tuesday night on most of these same ABC stations. When you hear America's Town Meeting... You hear vivid discussions of the vital problems of the world, discussed by noted experts from various professions. So Tuesday night, make it a point to be on hand for America's Town Meeting, heard over most of these same ABC stations. Make a note, Tuesday night, for America's Town Meeting. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. to know if you've ever read the books of Zane Gray. If you haven't read his books, you've most certainly seen his stories in the movies. His writing, of course, was only concerned with the Wild West, and from it you might suppose that he'd been brought up in the West and lived his entire life among the horses and the cattle out there. But this is far from the case. His father had insisted that he study dentistry, and Zane Gray actually started his professional life as a dentist in New York City. But he could never be happy in that work, and he knew it. 
So there came a day when he closed his dental office, moved with his wife and baby to Lackawaxon, Pennsylvania, where he could live peacefully, and there he started to write. And then for five long years, he slaved over one novel after another without a cent of income until he was almost ready to give up. But his wife encouraged him to write one more book, and that was the one that was sold. Well, he was a rich man after that, but I guess it must have taken a lot of courage for Zane Gray to write that last one. Don't you think so? And now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, Big Digger marshaled his forces for another assault on Mark Easy's bank account. He sent baguettes to Mark Easy, and the young lady, using her devastating charm, persuaded him to send for more money to pay cards again with Big Digger. Said that he was adept at manipulating cards and would see that he won. And now, while Tracy and Pat are carrying on their fruitless search for Big Digger, Mark Easy is talking to his lawyer while Baguette listens interestedly. Now listen, Jack, don't argue with me. I want that seventy-five thousand here by this afternoon. Relax, Mark. It's a whole lot of money you're asking for. But it's my money. After all, I'm your lawyer. Don't you think you ought to tell me what you want it for? I don't think anything of the kind. I'm in full possession of my senses. I know what I'm doing. Well, I hope you do. I pay you to give me advice when I ask for it. What do you take me for, an idiot? You get busy with the banks. I want that money at my hotel here by this afternoon. Well, as I told you before, in order to get that much, I'm going to have to sell some of your securities. You might not get a favorable break if I have to do it at such short notice. I'll take a chance on that. Get the money here. That's all. My, but you sound masterful over the phone, Mark I make up my mind to do something. I don't kid around. You are just wonderful. Well, that's how I got where I am today. I've always been smart. I've always seen to it that my orders were carried out. Then the money's going to be here, all right? You can bet your life on that. Fine. And we'll give Big Digger the beating of a lifetime. Say, so, you know, it's funny that fellow cheating me at cards. I wouldn't have thought him the time. No, what are He certainly appears to be a gentleman. They say you can't tell a book by its cover. Maybe they do, but is it necessary? What is it? Uh, just mumbling. Oh. Say, now, Baguette, are you sure we can pull off this scheme to take Big Digger? Give me a deck of cards. Yeah, sure. My daddy taught me just about every trick there is. Now watch. Hey, you can sure handle them. Watch this one. A three-way cut with one hand. You got mighty clever fingers, ma'am. Thank you. Now cut the cut. Now, watch how I picked them up. I didn't see anything. <laughs> I know you didn't. But I actually reversed the cut when I lifted up the deck. Watch, I'll do it slowly. Now, I put the bottom of the cut on top. And now, watch. Yeah, when you do it slow like that, I can see it. Yeah, as you pick them up, you put the two halves of the deck back uh, like there was before the cut. That's right. So, if I've stacked the deck, the cut doesn't interfere with what I'm playing. Yeah, that's right, smart stuff. You gonna pull that on Big Digger tonight? If he isn't watching me too closely. Nobody'd think a beautiful young girl like you would know how to make a deck of cards walk around like that. You'll make it sound as if I did this for a business. Oh, I didn't mean that, Baguette. My father taught me all kinds of side of hand tricks with cards. But he also taught me never to use those tricks except to amuse people or to show up cheating. I'm sure of it, ma'am. Frankly, I don't feel very happy about what we're going to do to Big Digger tonight. Well, don't let it worry you for a moment. He practically stole that 25000 from me last night. Of course he did. 
And I feel responsible for the whole thing because I introduced it to him on the train. Just don't let it worry. And another thing. We'll just win back your $25,000 and then we'll leave. I will not cheat for my own profit. You're a noble girl, Baguette. I'm honored to have you for friends. Thank you, Mom. Now, tonight I want you to sit on my right. When I give you the cards, always try to cut them about the middle. I'll do that. And one other thing. When you've finished your deal, don't be polite and pick up the cards for me. Let me do it. All right, I'll remember. I'd be honored if I could take you to lunch now, Baguette. Oh, a perfectly wonderful idea. And let's go someplace elegant where I can show off our new bracelet. Sound of shuffling cards can be dangerous music to certain ears, particularly to Mark Easy. Come on, Bag, get it short here. You don't mind if I pick up the cards, do you, Big Digger? No, you don't mind if the lady picks up the cards, do you, Big Digger? Your mood is so charming this evening, it's a pleasure to play with you, Mark Easy. Maybe you wouldn't be quite so genius. You'd lost the amount of money I have. For one thing, I know I wouldn't cry about it. If you're yellow, why do you play? Watch out who you're calling yellow. Oh, come now, Marquise. Let's dispense with the heroics. Nobody forced you to play cards. If you've lost money, it's your hard luck. I don't think I'm going to break down and cry because you took a bat. If you've had enough, why don't you get out? Baguette's deal. It's rude for me to leave now. Will you cut them, please? Okay. Let's hope it'll do some good this time. Oh, I'm sure it will. And I'm truly sorry that you haven't won tonight. Mm. Open for a thousand bucks. Keep the pikers out. Look, mister, you got around 70,000 of my money tonight. Don't call me a piker. You're going to better talk. I'm getting tired. I'll raise you a thousand. I'm afraid I'm out. I'll see you. Give me one card. I'll play these. Well, well, a fat hand. Under those circumstances, I checked you. Everything I got left. 2,600 bucks. <laughs> Not a pretty your two pair. Well, I don't want you to steal it. I'll call. <laughs> I get an ace eye straight. Well, I guess this is where my luck turns. From now on, I'll win. Maybe from now on, but not this time. I've got a pretty little flush. <laughs> you feel the flush on it? Why, you rotten cheat. And you were dealing, Baggett. I think you were in with him. Get out of here. I don't like the way you talk. Pick it up, chump. That's your taxi fare. All right, I'm going. But you haven't heard the last of this. Quick, we've got to follow him. I don't want any trouble. Probably go home and have a good cry, but we'll keep an eye on him and make sure he doesn't cry the cops. These late vigils are ruinous to my peaches and cream complexion. Why don't we go home? Well, you can go if you want to, Pat, but I'm going to stick it out a little longer. Oh, I think you're crazy, but uh, I'll stay with you. This guy, Big Digger, must be in town, and he must be operating. In case any information comes in about him, I want to be right here at headquarters to get it. It's a fine idea. While you stay here at headquarters, suppose I go out and investigate the coffee and sandwich situation. That's a great idea, Patrick. Hold it, Pat. 
Inspector Tracy speaking. Hello, Tracy. Thanks, Kevin, you're there. I'm glad to see you. It's terribly important. Just a minute. Who are you? My name is Mark Eden. I've just been cheated out of $100,000. Is this a business deal? Were you robbed? Please give me some particulars. I was cheated at cards. Cheated by a crooked gambler. Oh, we're getting somewhere. What was this man's name, and, and where are you right now? The man's name is... What are you doing in my room? Hello. Hello. Quick, Matt. We've got to find a man whose life is in great danger. Yeah, well, where is he? He was cut off before he could tell me. But we've got to find him, Matt. We've got... Afraid of what I was going to say? As a matter of fact, yes. My business gets along very well without advertising. You uh, know what this is, don't you? I know. Machine gun. Yes, I just don't want you to be laboring under any misapprehension. All right, I lost my head front of cops to tell them I've been slicked. But they didn't find out anything. Look, look, you, you put your gun down, and I'll pack up and go home. I won't say a thing. And I'll forget all about what happened. That might be all right if I were thinking of retiring, but I'm not. <laughs> what do you think of that yet, huh? You didn't think that a pretty girl like that would take her for a sucker. I still don't. Oh, no, of course you don't. She's too nice. She's an angel. <laughs> well, at heart, I'm a nice guy, and I wouldn't want you to die with any questions on your mind. Did you see that bracelet on her right arm? Well, you bought it with the money you lost the other night. It was a nice present, too. And what you lost tonight will buy her a little something for the other arm. <laughs> Sure, she's a nice girl, but how she loves those pretty little stones that come out of the ground. Put that gun down, big digger. So cute. Oh, how I love suckers. <laughs> They're my favorite people. <laughs> In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... From the list of great names on Broadway come the illustrious stars you'll hear every Sunday night when it's time for ABC's outstanding dramatic series, Theater Guild, on the air. This year, as in the past two seasons, Theater Guild creates all the glamour and allure of the theater in each hour presentation. The formula for this show that is ranked among the tops and awards is basic but expert. They take a successful play, they adapt it for radio, keeping the spirit and mood of the play intact, they cast it with actors who know their work, and then put the whole working script under talented directors. When the finished product is ready, the announcer says, Theater Guild on the air, and you can be sure of 60 minutes of top theater. Last year, you heard from such Broadway favorites as Helen Hayes, Clifton Webb, and Judith Anderson, such Broadway stage sensations as The First Year and The Church Mouse, and Gold. This season, you'll be hearing from many more popular actors and current as well as established successes. So don't be late when the curtain goes up every Sunday night on Theater Guild on the Air, heard on most of these ABC stations. For the best in plays, actors, and presentation, hear Theater Guild on the Air. And now, back to Dick Tracy. Dick, did you get the guy's name? Yes, Pat. He said it was Mark Easy. We've got to find out where he telephoned from. Oh, the needle in the haystack routine would be a cinch compared to this. But Dick and Pat don't know that it's already too late. But can they stop Big Digger before he adds any more suckers to his collection? Better tune in Monday for The Adventures of Dick Tracy. Produced by Charles Powers, Dick Tracy is heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is George Gunn speaking.
Say, Tracy fans, have you ever had your breath taken away by something that has particularly interested you? Maybe it was a song you heard, or maybe it was a thrilling book that you've read. Well, ABC has a program that we think will affect you the same way. It's called The Greatest Story Ever Told, and it's just that, a truly great program. Everyone in your family will want to hear The Greatest Story Ever Told when it's broadcast each Sunday over most of these ABC stations, because... Well, you'll be remembering and talking about each wonderful story for a long time afterwards. Be sure to remind your friends and your parents to hear the greatest story ever told this Sunday. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. This is Dick Tracy on the case of the Book of Four Kings. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. This is Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. In just a moment, we'll hear today's Dick Tracy adventure. But first, here's a thought for today. You know, it doesn't take money to bring happiness to yourself, and you can have a fine, adventuresome life without it. Take Dr. Wilfred Grenfell, for instance. Now, there was a man who started many years ago to build a rich medical practice in the wealthiest section of London. And he did, too. But one year he needed a rest, and so he decided on a great adventure to spend a vacation on the coast of Labrador, that barren strip of land on the east coast of Canada. He found 30,000 fishermen living there, all of them poor, hardworking, without a single duck to, t- to take care of them. Back in London, after his vacation, he made a decision. He would close out his well-paying practice and open a doctor's office in Labrador. The next year found him in Labrador again, traveling up and down the 15 miles of frozen wasteland to give medical care to the fishermen had never had it before. He spent the rest of his life there working tremendously hard, but never making a single cent. Dr. Grenfell was completely happy because he was doing work he loved and he knew he was being useful. Makes you think, doesn't it? And now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, the doorman of Big Digger's apartment house made the singular mistake of attempting to blackmail him. And so Big Digger tricked him into a meeting on the retaining wall overlooking the underpass through the park. 
Once there, Big Digger beat the doorman groggy with the barrel of his gun and then hurled him into the underpass in front of a racing car. But before the doorman died, he tried to leave Tracy a message. When Tracy and Patton reached the scene of the tragedy, they saw that the dead man was holding three playing cards in his hand, an ace of spades, a queen of diamonds, and a ten of clubs. Right now, Dick and Pat are finishing their investigation in the underpass. Hi, Pat. Oh, Dick, we're all done now. Pictures have been taken from every possible angle. I checked with the medical examiner, and he's going to do an autopsy right away. Good work, Pat. Eh, what do you say we hit the sack? That wind is getting chilly, and we're going to have a busy day tomorrow. In a little while, Pat. Tell me, how about the driver that killed this man? Anyone picked up yet? Mm, Not so far, Inspector Tracy, but I put it on the teletype, and I'm also having all repair garages within a hundred-mile radius on the lookout for a car with a smashed right fender. I'm awfully anxious to talk to whoever was driving that car. I could spare a word or two for myself. Let's hope you get the chance. Say, have you got those playing cards that the fellow was holding? Yes, yes, I have them here in this envelope. I took them as soon as the boys had made pictures of them. I'm going to have them checked at headquarters for fingerprints. I wish I could figure out what they meant. We will. Come on up here with me, Pat. What gives? A little mountain climbing? I'd like to take a look at the park area up here. You know, this retaining wall is well tiered. I'll tell the building commissioner you said so. Thank you, sir. What are you going to look for up here? I'm not sure yet. Come on over here. Now, there's the body right down there. You didn't get me up here to tell me that, did you? The car must have been traveling fast, judging from those skid marks. So it's safe to assume that the body was tossed about 10 or 15 feet at least. Let's walk down here. Shine your light around here on the cement walk, Pat. Well, how's that? Fine. Hey, Dick. Hmm? What's that? It looks to me like drops of blood. What does it mean? It could mean, Pat, that our doorman wasn't struck while walking along through the underpass. No? No. It could mean that he was up here. And that he fell or jumped to the underpass below. Fell or jumped or was pushed. You smell a murder? The odor isn't overpowering, but it's strong, Pat. And I think this is all I want to see around here, Pat. I'll drop you off at your apartment. We'll meet at headquarters first thing in the morning. Thank for that. You don't want you to think that I'm mad for sleep, but every once in a while it comes in handy. Good morning, Richard. Hello, Pat. Sit down. Oh, you're so kind. Uh, any reports in yet? Some. I've just been going over the post-mortem. Boy, did a quick job. What's the verdict? Well, there's no doubt but that the man died from injuries he received when the car struck him. There goes your murder theory. Not quite. Well, what else did you find? Some unexplained head injuries. You mean something that wasn't the result of the collision with the car? Exactly. I don't think we could ever prove anything because they could be a freak result of the collision. But I think, and Dr. Carey agrees with me, that the bruises on the face and nose were caused by a pipe or a loaded cane. In other words, somebody belted the guy before he tangled with the auto? Yes. Oh, you've been reading too many books. Why try to complicate a simple hit-and-run death? No, I'm not trying to look for things that weren't there. But supposing that someone did slug him, wouldn't that account for the bloodstains that we found on the top of the retaining wall? I hadn't thought of that. The man could have been struck up there, and then, while he was still dazed, pushed off in front of the first car to come along. You may have something there, my lad. Well, I'm not giving it up for a while. How about this doorman? Did you find out anything about him? Well, he had several run-ins with the juvenile authorities. 
A couple of years ago, he served six months in the pen. Just a clean, healthy American boy. Yeah, I think he was hanging around on the fringe of the rackets, trying to get in somehow. Look what happened to him. Yeah, you think these jerks would get wise to themselves. They lead a life that no self-respecting pig would tolerate for a moment, with nothing but prisoner of the chair ahead of them. What was he doing as a doorman? Maybe he was getting set to case the joint. Duck Boy, uh, the uh, owner-manager of the apartment, told me that he was just keeping him there on trial. Do you think his murder had anything to do with your showing him the picture of Mark Easy? That's the big question, Pat. If this man's death is tied in with Mark Easy's murder, it means that someone around here is getting close to home. And all I want to know is who done it. You know, I think the doorman was trying to tell us when he died. Are you crazy? Let's stick to one subject at a time. Well, how was he trying to tell us? This fellow always carried a pack of cards around with him. Yeah, I know. He had three cards in his hand when we saw him last night. Yes. There they are, Pat. Right on the desk. Uh-huh. The ace of spades, the queen of diamonds, and the ten of clubs. Well, what was he going to do? Play three-card Monty? He'd been playing for his life. And when he got those cards out, he knew he'd lost. Then you think he was trying to tell us something. Well, what? We're going to sit right here in this office until we've found out. Mm. The ace of spades, the queen of diamonds, and the ten of clubs. Frankly, they don't mean anything to me. Don't give up too easily, Pat. I didn't. It was a terrible struggle. Ten of clubs, queen of diamonds, ace of spades. Oh, Tracy, you're starting to snow. I'm getting out my shovel. Come on ahead, Pat. What? What did you say? I said I'm getting out my shovel. I know it wasn't very funny, but it was the best I Shovel, shovel. Maybe that's it. Maybe what you need is a good psychiatrist. Pat, what's something else like a shovel? Uh, a hole? Oh, no, 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 you idiot. A, a spade, a spade. Tracy, I'm trying to humor you. All right, a spade is like a shovel. Don't you see, Pat? One of the cards the doorman was holding in his dead fingers was the ace of spades. Yes, I know. Oh, you're singularly dense today, Pat. What is a spade? We just did that one. It's like a shovel. A spade is a, is a digger. A digger, get it? Mm -hmm. And the ace of spades is a... A big digger. Say. Had enough? Tracy, you're a great man. Oh, well. We think that big digger murdered Mark Easy, and now this doorman dies under peculiar circumstances after having been shown a picture of Mark Easy. It's more than the long arm of coincidence, Pat. Big digger is our murderer. Yes, but we still don't know where he is or what he looks like. I think I know where he is, or at least where he operates. Well, where? Almost surely in that apartment house where the doorman worked. And I think I know what apartment. What are you, clairvoyant? No, no. It's the cards again. The Ten of Clubs. Apartment 10C. Say, I bet you're right. Should we pick them up? I regret to say no. No, there's not a jury in the world would convict a man of murder because a dead man was holding three cards in his hands. And that's the sum total of our proof. What about Mark Easy's killing? There again, we're stuck. All we have to go on is conjecture. We haven't one shred of evidence. What are you going to do? I'm going to put a detective on as night doorman at that apartment. And we'll see if we can find out who this big digger is. How about me, Dick? No. No, you might be recognized, Pat. I'm going to use Danny Hopter. You know, he's an up-and-coming cop. I think he's going far in the department. Isn't he on leave of absence? No, he got back yesterday. <laughs> he was just out a couple of days while his wife had a baby. Get him for me, will you, Pat? I'm going to call Duck Boy, the owner of the apartment house. Tell him he's got a new doorman. And at the apartment house late that very afternoon, Big Digger and Baguette meet in apartment 10C. I see by the papers that your doorman was the victim of a hit-and-run driver in the park underpass last night. Yes, wasn't it a pity? How did you manage it? I was very subtle. 
I slugged him and dropped him down the embankment in front of a car, neat and simple. And safe. A decided virtue. There's been considerable loss of life since you came to town. Only two casualties, and both completely justified. Oh, I wasn't criticizing. Uh, did you see Van Rumpel? Mm-hmm. I had lunch with him today. He's very anxious to play some poker tonight. He was so pleased when he won yesterday. They all are. When I retire, I'm going to write a book on Dopus Americanus, the common or ground variety of American sucker. Mm, it should have an extensive sale. Um, have you seen your new doorman? Have we got another already? Why, yes, and he's beautiful. And so polite. Do you seem accustomed to the work? Well, just how much training does it take to open a door? Stop being funny. I'm wondering about something. What? If that guy who was trying to blackmail me told the cops more than he let on, I'm going to call Duck Boy. Who's he? He's the owner-manager of this apartment house. He knows me as Roberts and thinks I'm a great guy. <laughs> he ought to, after the bribe I gave him, to get this apartment. Hello? Hello, Duck Boy. This is Roberts. Oh, hello. I'm calling to complain about your new doorman. I want him fired. Isn't he any good? He's terrible. I'm afraid I can't fire him. I'm not in the habit of playing games. Either fire that new doorman or I go to the state rent control board and tell them you took 5000 under the table as a bribe for this apartment. Now, now just a minute, Mr. Roberts. I, I'd like to do what you ask, but, but I can't. Please don't do anything. Just be patient. You see, I was forced to take this man by the police. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... You've probably all heard the expression, life in the raw. Well, nowhere was life in the raw better exemplified than in the great Northwest during the days of the Klondike Gold Rush. That was country that, as the saying goes, separated the men from the boys. Each Thursday night on Challenge of the Yukon, you can enjoy exciting tales of adventure set in this rough wilderness, uh, rough wilderness untouched by refinements of civilization. Challenge of the Yukon is a colorful program which is broadcast over most of these same ABC stations. The stories are concerned with Sergeant Preston's fight to maintain law and order at a time when authority seemed to rest in each man's pistol holster. Representative of the small group of Northwest Mounted Police who braved the elements to track down ruthless criminals, Sergeant Preston is aided by his highly trained Eskimo lead dog, King. Although many of the action-packed dramatizations on Challenge of the Yukon deal with conflicts between men... There is also variation in the plot, stories that revolve around the wolf, a bear, and other animals of the Yukon, wildlife adventures that are entirely different from anything produced on the air before this. Tune in, Challenge of the Yukon, tonight. And now, back to Dick Tracy. What is it, Big Digger? Not very good. A new doorman was put there by the police department. Call off the game tonight. I've got to do some thinking. It looks like another casualty may be justified. It's bad luck for Dick Tracy that his scheme has been found out by Big Digger. Better tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy, heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is George Gunn speaking. An average Mr. Radio listener recently said, Your Thursday night Willie Piper show is certainly pleasant. Yes, it moves along so smoothly and delightfully that you'll be surprised to find yourself completely absorbed in the story, unaware that your face is covered with a broad smile. Thirty minutes pass just like that, and you're left with a mellow, contented feeling. The hero of the show is Willie Piper, a well-intentioned youth who blunders his way through the darndest predicaments. He's married to a wonderful girl. They live with Willie's father-in-law. These are the chief members of the cast, and so for the story and for wholesome chuckles, here the Willie Piper Show broadcast tonight over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Oh, my.
process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, uh huh? It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loot, fun surprises, and delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Browsers! With crates starting as large as $11.99 per month, those are backs just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's F-E-N-I-X media.us forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it? You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. We'll be with us in just a minute and ten seconds, Tracy fans, and then we'll hear today's adventure. In the meantime, I wonder if you've ever thought about the games you play and how long they've been played. For instance, small girls like dolls, small boys like tops and marbles. Did you know the boys and girls had been playing with these things for hundreds and hundreds of years? You'll find uncivilized tribes today that have them, too. Yes, and how about the other games you play? You know how they started? Boys and girls both play hockey and basketball and tennis. Did you know that hockey has been played by American Indians for many hundreds of years? Did you know that the Maya Indians of Yucatan played a game very much like our basketball, but instead of having a basket for a goal, as we do, they used to throw the ball through a stone ring? Yes, and what about tennis? I suppose you think that that's a fairly new game, hmm? Well, the ancient Aztecs of Mexico played a racket and ball game very much like it. They also played a game that was very much like baseball. And, of course, there was football, which was played by the ancient Greeks a long time before the birth of Christ. Well, when you speak of games, there certainly is something new out of the sun. And now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, while Tracy and Patton rested in the ship's salon, Pat recovering from a blow on the head, Big Digger and Baguette went to Captain Gorbis's cabin to learn the identity of the two strangers who had just taken them at cards, the two being Dick and Pat, of course. But in the captain's cabin, Big Digger discovered a wireless message disclosing Tracy's identity. Quickly getting their guns, Big Digger, Baguette, and the reluctant Captain Gropus surprised Tracy and Patton and locked them up in the ship's brig. Right now, Big Digger is in his stateroom, tying and gagging his erstwhile partner, Baguette. Here we are. Right enough. Yeah. <laughs> I must say, Baguette, you make a cute package all tied up and gagged. Now don't glare at me so. It's really rather necessary. I'll just sit over here on the bunk. Show you on mine. Yeah. And now the Tommy gun. Useful little device, isn't it? Oh, uh, I'm sorry I had to put a gag on you, Baguette. But it would seriously interfere with my plans if you were able to do any screaming. Now, 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 there's no use trying anything like that. You couldn't possibly get out of there. Oh, uh, I have an excellent idea, Baguette. You can still move your foot. If you want to say yes, tap your foot twice. If you want to say no, tap your foot three times. You understand? Two taps, yes. Good. 
Frankly, I'm enjoying being able to air my views without any competition. Baguette, would you like to know why you're tied up and gagged in my stateroom? You would. Well, it's natural curiosity. I have a strange foreboding that my good friend, Captain Gopas, is going to try to shoot me. Now, that would be a shame. <laughs> However, I wouldn't feel so badly if he shot you. So we'll just sit here in the semi-darkness until the captain opens the door. He'll be nervous. And he'll shoot the first person he sees. I believe that's a reasonable behavior analysis of an overwrought mind like the captain's. You don't mind getting shot instead of me, do you? You do? Oh, how selfish. Frankly, Baguette, since we've locked Dick Tracy and Pat Patton in the brig, I've been doing a little thinking. There's no possible way to connect me with the three murders that I had to commit. Except through you, Baguette. You might decide to go to the police and tell all, as they say. No? Well, that's one opinion, but forgive me if I don't share it. After all, you could get off free, or at the worst, with a couple of months. Now, now I'm inclined to think that you'd like to turn state's evidence against me. Now, let's not keep arguing about it, Baguette. Think what a good spot I'm in when the captain kills you. He's already a murderer. He'd be in a beautiful pickle, and I would be in the clear. I'll kill Tracy and Patton with the captain's gun, and then we'll say the poor man went berserk. I can just see the headlines. Blood-crazed captain goes crazy on horror ship. Yeah, and then it'd be a subheading. Finally captured by heroism of big digger, prominent American citizen. <laughs> Do you like that? Oh, you're in a very critical mood today, Baguette. Wait a minute. I think this is our man. Come in, Captain Gopas. The little lady is waiting. That is my way of saying I am through, big digger. Oh, Gopas. Uh, yes, you have quite an original way of expressing yourself. It, it is the girl. I, I shot the girl. That's absolutely accurate. Now drop the gun or I'll have to use my tommy gun on you. That's better. It was quite an entrance you made. But I think you should have had a better phrase. Something like, sick Semper Tyrannus. Uh, that's what Booth said after he shot Lincoln. That would have made a nice quote for the papers. Uh, my one chance to do something good and I have ruined it. You mean shooting me would have been good? Huh. I can't follow your reasoning there. You are probably the only one who cannot. What are you going to do now? In a minute, I'm going to take your gun and go down and finish Tracy and Patton. Yeah. This is a very nice revolver, Captain. Mm. It is too bad it had to shoot the wrong person. Oh, it's done very well. And one other thing, Goppers. You're going to commit suicide in a fit of remorse at killing Baguette, Tracy, and Patton. You think you can get away with that? You are crazy. What do you mean, think? I am getting away with it. And it can't help but work perfectly for me. Are you sure you have taken everything into consideration? What do you care? Just this! Say <laughs> Got him right across the back. He won't go far. I shouldn't have used the tummy gun. I gotta change my plans. I gotta find the captain before he talks. This is a well-made cage, Patrick. You're not going to get out of it by shaking it apart. Well, at least it gives me exercise. This is hardly the time to undertake a physical development program. From that remark, I suppose I'm to assume that you've been thinking. To a certain extent, yes. Well, have you thought us out of here? No. Then I'm going back to shaking the bars. You and your helicopters. What are we going to do now? Get out of here and grab Big Digger. What a wonderful idea. I hadn't thought of it. Always reduce a problem to its simplest terms, then set about solving it. Richard, I don't know what I'd do without you. But I have an idea I could steer clear of a lot of jails. 
Why, Patrick, how ungrateful. This is the first time we've been in a ship's brig in months. I suppose that thought is to cheer me up. Hold it. Someone's coming down the ladder. You're undoubtedly big digger to shoot us like a couple of fish in a barrel. Hey, it's, it's Captain Corpus. He's been badly wounded. Look at his shirt. I... I come to get you out. Now we're doing something practical. No, here. Here, give me the key, Captain. You're too weak to use it. Come on, Pat. Get... Get big digger. Yes? He... He shot me. I... I'm dying. Did that mean to kill a girl? Big digger. Get big digger. Tommy gun. Cabin. Twelve. D. Dick, can we get a doctor for him? It won't do any good, Pat. He's dead. Then come on. Let's get big digger. Okay, Pat. Twelve. D. We open the door fast and stand aside. Right. I'm going in. Great heavens, Pat. It's by guest. He's been tied to this chair and shot. Quick. Get her untied and onto the bunk. Right. She's still alive and we better save her. What's the time? Not here. I'll get this one down below. Right. All right. It's coming up. No, there it does it. Easy does it now, Pat. You take her feet. Uh, yeah. There. There we go. All right. She's not in such bad shape. Lost a lot of blood, but... I don't think it's fatal. I hope not. We've got to get her medical care, though. See if you can find the ship's doctor. And the first mate. He's in command of the boat now. We'll do. Warn them that we have a dangerous killer on board. I'm going to do what I can for it by get back yet. What if Big Digger comes back here? I hope he does. Uh, Dick, don't get heroic. We'll route the guy out in good time. I don't want anyone else shot. That's my biggest worry. Try to find the doctor first and get water. Okay. I'll have you fix up, kid, as soon as we get some water and bandages. And this should sort of be a lesson to you. Pretty little girls shouldn't get to know people like Big Digger. But since you did know him, you're going to be very useful to us in court. Put him up, Tracy. Look, Big Digger. Well, I was expecting you to drop in. How did you get out? That's my little secret. Where's Patton? My, aren't we curious. What have you got Baguette on the bunk? So, she isn't dead. Don't bother to answer. She isn't, she will be, and so will you. Oh, don't be a chump, big digger. We've got you dead to right. I don't agree. My plan will still work with a few modifications. I don't know what your plan is, but it's going to put you in the electric chair. That's an event that you'll never witness. I'll get off this boat in a foreign country with plenty of money, and you will go home in a coffin. Are you sure? You'd better look behind you. <laughs> I'm not going to fall for that one, Tracy. But I am going to give you a little surprise. I'm going to shoot you. You wanted to be a hero. That's why you were risking your life waiting here for me. Well, I'm not going to disappoint your public. Maybe they'll give you a Viking's funeral. First, I'll close the door. And then... Hey, stop me! First, we'll get rid of that gun. I, get you. I couldn't swing your gun along fast enough to shoot at me. Are you... If you think this one's intended to tear your head off. So... That ought to keep you for about an hour. Dick, Dick, a bum like that couldn't get you. If you've killed Tracy Big Digger, I swear you'll never get off this boat alive. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first, every so often, a dramatic program is heard that can rightly be called truly fascinating, one whose stories are long remembered. Such a program is Exploring the Unknown, broadcast over most ABC stations each Sunday evening. And there's excellent reason for Exploring the Unknown's compelling fascination... 
Each of its dramatizations brings you a revolutionary and successful technique of combining fictional stories with authentic scientific information. And so, by means of a melodrama, a comedy, adventure, or mystery, facts of science are brought to your attention in a way that's easy to understand. Discoveries in medicine, physics, and other sciences are dramatized in highly entertaining fashion with Hollywood and Broadway actors and actresses taking the leading roles. One program might reveal intriguing facts about the medical profession's conquest of a dread disease, while another might unveil new progress in the aviation industry. To lend authority to the broadcasts, at the end of each three-act radio play, guest experts comment briefly on the dramatized subject. And so, Tracy fans, we invite you to tune in Exploring the Unknown when it's on the air over most of these same ABC stations Sunday night. Now, back to Tracy. Honestly, Pat, I wasn't playing games. When I saw Big Digger start to squeeze that trigger, I hit the deck so hard I knocked myself out. I think you were grandstanding. Well, anyway, we've wrapped this case up. Not quite. I have one very important thing to do when we get our prisoners back to town. With the capture of Big Digger and Baguette, the case would seem ended. What more has Tracy on his mind? Better tune in Monday for the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is George Gunn speaking. You bet your life it's funny. It's one of the most hilarious half hours on the air when Groucho Marx takes over as MC on You Bet Your Life, a brand new show we'll bring you Monday night starting October 27th over most ABC stations. Groucho asks contestants a series of questions, and if they answer them correctly, they win prizes of cash and merchandise. There's no time limit on this show. As a matter of fact, as Groucho reassures all contestants, they can take as much time as they like, up to five seconds. The questions are simple, and so are the answers. Don't miss Groucho Marx. As he MCs, you bet your life. Monday night, starting October 27th. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, is Dick Tracy on the case of the Honorable Mr. Malice. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. We'll join Dick Tracy in just a minute and ten seconds. But first, did you ever think you'd like to write a song? Of course, some of our songs sound as though they've been written without any effort at all, don't they? Believe me, that's far from true. Take, for instance, George Gershwin, who wrote many of our best. Like most men who have made a success of their lives, he had his years of struggle for recognition. But Gershwin was born of a poor family on New York's east side. You know, it's rather funny the way he got started in music. When he was a small boy, he had looked forward to being a painter. But his mother learned one day that her sister-in-law had bought a piano. And, of course, not to be outdone, she went out and bought a second-hand upright herself, paying for it on the installment plan. With the piano in the house, George found that he couldn't stay away from it. He learned to play. Quite a number of years, he played piano for a living, earning practically nothing until Al Jolson took over and popularized George Gershwin's song, Swanee. His music was good, it's true. But George Gershwin had to know what he wanted. And he had to stay with it through the rough times to win up. There's a good lesson there for all of us. And now, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy and Pat Patton have been assigned to break up a most vicious crime. Someone has been derailing and wrecking trains carrying relief supplies to starving countries abroad. The man responsible for this is Benton Malice, an embittered ex-congressman with an abiding hatred for everything in the world that he, he does not understand or believe in. Well, fortunately, his latest attempt at wreck has failed. 
Due to Dick Tracy's warning, the engineer slowed his train in time to prevent serious damage. And so now we find the infuriated Benton Malice waiting for his butler, Wormser Crawley. You rang, sir? Yes, I rang. Confounded Crawley, what went wrong? Wrong, sir? You know what I mean about the wreck. Nothing, sir. The two trains met head on. Of course they did. That part of it I planned. But practically no damage resulted. Why? I'm sure I don't know, sir. Well, you should know. There must have been somebody that tipped off in some way. The relief train slowed down to a crawl just before the wreck. Maybe it saw the oncoming train. It's impossible. It's approaching around a blind curve. Then it's possible, sir, that they figured out a way to detect the presence of trouble. Crawley, are you trying to suggest that any of those swine are smarter than I am? No, sir. If they're on the other side of the political fence from me, they must be stupid. Yes, sir. The mere fact that they're trying to feed impoverished countries shows that they lack intelligence. Yes, sir. Uh, there must be some other reason for last night's failure. I did everything you said. The switch worked and the signals fell exactly as planned. Something must have gone wrong. Something. Did you hear if anyone was hurt in the crash? The fireman of the relief train was scalded from the steam. But I understand that he's going to be all right, sir. Ah, that's the only thing that bothers me about this whole thing. Injuring good Americans. What's his name, Crowley? Skladany, sir. Oh, oh, recent American. That's all right. I'd hate to injure a real American. Yes, sir. Come out on the parapet, Crawley. Look down at the valley. I want you to see the exact spot where the wreck took place. Yes, sir. Maybe you can figure out what went wrong. After all, you had the advantage of seeing the wreck up close. If you also see it from a distance, you can get a perspective that I couldn't possibly have. Yes. Right down there, Glass. Right at the bend of the river. I know, sir. And I was right about there. About a quarter mile up the valley. That's where the relays for the switches and the signal blocks are, sir. And did you personally see the signals change? Are you sure that they had the all clear? I saw it with my own eyes, sir. I can't understand it. I can't understand it. You can see for yourself that it's a completely blind corner. No one could see a train coming until it'd be too late. I know, sir. All right, come inside again while I work it out on the model railroad. Maybe that way I can get an inkling of what went wrong. Now, this is the relief train. I've constructed the tracks to exactly duplicate the curve of Smoky Bluffs. Yes, sir. Here's the main line switch. Here's the block signal. Coming up this way is the string of empties. Everything's quite complete, sir. All right, now you operate the relief train. I'll handle the string of empties headed north. I'll do that, sir. As soon as your train has a clear view around the bend, stop it as quickly as you can. I understand, sir. All right, then let's go. All right, now I'll turn on the induction coil that upsets the switch to the signal light. It worked perfectly, sir. The switch opened and the signal shows all clear. Your train is going through the switch now. Remember, try and stop it when you first see it come around the corner. Yes, sir. That would be right now. You see, the crash was inevitable. Without some sort of a tip-off, it couldn't have been a button. Well, I'm going to try to find out the reason for it. Well, we didn't get any more dope today on why the trains crashed than we did last night. Might as well have stayed in town. Well, Pat, at least we had a nice ride in the country. Yeah. And we found out a few more things about trains from our friend Johnson Barr. Yeah, he's a real old railroad man, that one. Mm-hmm. Suppose he's going ahead with his plans to ask Benton Malice to head his investigating committee? Yes, I know he is. In fact, when he left just a few minutes ago, he said that he was on his way to Malice House to have a talk with the Honorable Mr. Malice. How do you figure that, Bart Richard? Do you think he's mixed up in this train raking business? It doesn't really seem possible, and yet with a fellow like he is, you never can be sure. He's a queer one, all right. Doesn't seem to like anything. Oh, yes, he does. He likes Benton Malice, and everything Benton Malice stands for. In fact, uh, he'll fight for his ideal to the last drop of our blood. I see what you mean. 
Matt, I've studied the speeches he made while he was in Congress, and they're all bad. He opposed Lend-Lease. He opposed all foreign aid. He made an impassioned speech against organizing the United Nations. Well, he wanted to drop atomic bombs on every country that wouldn't immediately roll over and do everything exactly the way he wanted it done. In fact, he's a first-rate menace to the peace of the world. Well, you'd think that the citizens of Northern Valley would lock him up as a madman. Trouble is, Pat, that that kind of demagogue can always hide behind a cloak of patriotism, 100% Americanism, or some such name. Not popular to denounce that type. I don't see why not. Well, Pat, people are so busy supporting worthy causes like racial tolerance, and you couldn't find a worthier cause, that they don't realize that Benton Malice and his special type of international intolerance represent a greater menace to the world than all the racial hatred you can think of. Because his preachings will lead the world into war. Millions will be killed and maimed. Jews and Christians, colored and white. Hey, I guess you're right. There isn't much intolerance about an atomic bomb. It doesn't care who it kills. Right. And yet people like Benton Malice are respected and looked up to by the very people who in the long run, men like Malice are trying to kill. It beats me. Hey, but you don't think that he's really behind his train wrecking business, do you? Yeah. Think of the risks he take care of being discovered. I know, and yet we can't overlook him. I'll be interested to hear how he reacts to the proposal that Johnson Barr is going to make to him. In fact, I think I'll pull up beside the entrance to the road leading to Malice House and wait for Johnson Barr. That's a good idea. We may find out something that'll give us an important tip as to how he's thinking. Stephen, is that you? Yes, Uncle Benton. I wish I could teach you to treat this house with respect. You swam around the place as though you owned it. I'm sorry, sir. Try to remember next time. Yes, how were things in school today, my boy? Well, of course, everyone was talking about the wreck last night. Gosh, it was sure lucky that there was so little damage. Fortunate indeed. Do they have any idea who's behind it all? Well, they think it's some local person, but I don't see how it could be. No? It just couldn't be any of the local people. They're all too nice. <laughs> I wish I could share your opinions with my neighbors. Uh, are the uh, good burgers of Northern Valley going to do anything to find out who the culprit is? They sure are. I heard some of them say that it'd be a good idea to organize a citizen's committee to keep a watch on the tracks. I see. Did you hear who was to be on the committee? I heard several people say that they thought you ought to head, Uncle Oh, <laughs> Well, you don't say. I... Oh, bother. Who's that coming up the drive? Looks like some sort of a common workman. You let him in. Tell him I'm busy. I've got no time for that, sir. Yes, sir. Hello. Uh, won't you come in? Thanks, Sonny. And Mr. Malice at home? Uh, he's kind of busy. Who's calling? Johnson Barr. I'm the engineer of one of the trains that was wrecked last night. You are? Oh, gosh. Well, I see you're a railroad enthusiast yourself. That's quite a model system you got rigged up. Oh, that's Uncle Benton. He built it all. He did, huh? Well, if he's that much of a railroader at heart, I'm sure he'll take our offer. Uh, we want him to be head of our committee to see about stopping these wrecks. Is that what you're here for? Yep. Gee, that sounds important. Maybe I better get him. Oh, no, honey. You mind if I look at this model railroad? Not at all. But it's in kind of a mess. So I see. Looks like your uncle hasn't been having much more luck than we have down in the valley. In fact, uh, this setup sort of looks like the layout down in the Northern Valley. I think that's what it's supposed to represent. Yep. Same block signals, same switches. Sure is complete. You work the signals and the switches from over here, you see. Yes, mighty clever. Yes, sir, mighty clever. Except one of your switches is stuck. Now, let's see. Looks like the one that'll be just about Smoky Blaps. 
I guess that's why Uncle Benton's train got messed up. Must be. Because he's got an all-clear signal right through this open switch. Uncle Benton's always having wrecks. Mm. That's why I don't like to watch him play with these little cars. He is, huh? Uh, let me uh, let me uh, take a look at uh, those two trains. Oh, sure. Huh? Yep. Hudson's type locomotive, same number of cars. And the train heading north is made up of a string of empty flat cars. You know, I'm beginning to get an idea. What is it, Mr. Boy? I'm not sure yet, but I'm thinking about something a, a fellow said to me a little while ago. Something about judging a book by its cover. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first, you've probably heard us speak many times about our Sunday evening hour show, which features the Detroit Symphony and great hour-long concerts each week over most of these ABC stations. But chances are you know very little about the conductor who directs this fine symphony orchestra. Well, his name is Carl Kruger, Dr. Carl Kruger. He's a man who might have been an economist, a missionary, or a lawyer. Instead, the imprint made upon him as a boy by music settled his career permanently. As American as the soil of Atchison, Kansas, where he was born, Carl Kruger made Europe appreciate what America can produce. Just as Edward McDowell made the elder countries aware of what the new land can do in the matter of musical composition, so Carl Kruger demonstrated that a native-born American conductor is qualified to direct the best of Europe's orchestras. At one time in his career, he was assistant conductor at the Vienna State Opera. Mr. Kruger has also conducted the Seattle Symphony, the Kansas City Philharmonic. He is also greatly responsible for popularizing music from the standpoint of community participation, popular prices. Don't miss hearing the Detroit Symphony on the Sunday evening hour over most ABC stations. And now back to Dick Tracy. Did you hear what he said, Carly? I did indeed, sir. Give him one of our special calling cards quickly. He mustn't get back to town alive. And just what is this special calling card? Better be sure to tune in Monday for the adventures of Dick Tracy. Heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is George Gunn speaking. If you Tracy fans go for real He-Man stories of adventure, then the show for you is Saturday night's Challenge of the Yukon. It takes you back to the days of the 90s when gold was discovered in the great Northwest. You'll hear of adventurers who bucked the vast Alaskan wilderness to find their prize while other men waited and killed to gain their fortunes. You'll thrill to Royal Mounted Police, Sergeant Preston's battle against odds and his one-man fight for decency, with only King, his Eskimo lead dog, to help him. So don't miss Challenge of the Yukon. Broadcast tomorrow night over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Big Tricky! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the Honorable Mr. Malice. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Before we join Dick Tracy, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you ever been so annoyed with something that you wanted very badly to change it? All right. Did you change it or did you try? Because... Well, I'd like to point out that this is the way things come to be invented, and the way new businesses and industries start, the way we make progress. It's also the way fortunes are made. Take, for example, the beginning of the taxicab business. One evening, way back in 1907, 40 years ago, 
A young man here in New York City hailed a horse-drawn handsome cab. The address he gave to the driver was about three-quarters of a mile away. When he arrived at the address, the driver politely asked him for five dollars. <laughs> well, the young man paid it, but he didn't like it a bit. He made up his mind then and there that he would change this system where a driver could name his own price. The result? He started this country's first taxicab company using automobiles and taxi meters. He started it even though he had to visit Europe to get the cars and financial backing he needed. Today, a three-quarter mile taxi ride in New York City will cost you 30 cents. <laughs> Things can be changed. And now, Dick Tracy. The latest relief train wreck has been accomplished by someone throwing incendiary bombs from a moving automobile. Someone who is believed by Dick Tracy to be left-handed. So, following a hunch, Tracy and Patton visited the home of the Honorable Benton Malice and were very excited to discover a photograph of the aforementioned Malice pitching in a Fourth of July baseball game and pitching left-handed. Well, after a short but interesting conversation with Steve, old Malice's nephew, they left. And it came as quite a surprise to Steve to hear a voice close behind him say, Master Stephen. Didn't hear you come up behind me. Where were you? Just behind that door. But why didn't you say something? Why didn't you come out when those two men were here? Master Stephen, Mr. Malice would like to see you. Well, sure. Where is he? Come. Ah, there you are, Stephen. Oh, gee, Uncle Benton, why didn't you come out and see Mr. Tracy and Mr. Patton? If you were here, you must have heard them. I heard them. I heard a great deal. That's why I didn't come out. But they said you asked them to come and see your trains. I did. That was before I realized Mr. Patton was a common immigrant. Malice House has never yet, nor will it ever, play host to an immigrant. I thought Mr. Patton was awful nice. Well, so I noticed. That's what I want to talk to you about. Yes, sir. Stephen, you realize that although I am your uncle, I am under no obligation to either house or feed you. Yes, Uncle Benton. What I do for you, I do out of the goodness of my heart. And out of consideration for the wishes of my poor dead sister. I know, sir. Therefore, Stephen, don't you think it's strange that I should overhear you expressing disbelief in the things which I hold most sacred? And expressing that disbelief to a common policeman and an immigrant? But, Uncle Benton, I don't... I'm doing the talking. I realize, Stephen, that I cannot expect too much from the uh, son of a foreigner. But I should have thought that you would have profited enough by my high example not to have been guilty of so grievous a fault. And what have you to say to that? But, sir, the things Mr. Patton was saying sounded so right. Stephen, in my household, what I think is right. Speak up. Don't just stand there like an idiot. I didn't realize how it would sound to you, sir. I only thought that... Don't talk back to your elders. Now, tell me, where did you get this vicious belief that a naturalized American is as good as a native-born from the Constitution, sir. It says that all people are created equal. Rubbish. Means that all Americans have an equal right to try and become rich and powerful. But that's all it means. But it says all people, not all Americans. That was because the founders of this country had no means of knowing to what a sorry pass she would be dragged. Who in those glorious days could have dreamed that this great land of opportunity would be flooded with Poles and Italians and Hungarians and Chinese? You surely don't believe that the Founding Fathers meant to imply that such people as that could ever be the equal of real Americans? That's what my father taught me. Then let your father feed and house and clothe you. But, Uncle Benton, my father's dead. I'm fully aware of that fact. 
And don't you ever forget. Do you hear me? Don't you ever forget. No, oh, sir. I'll never forget. All right, then. Go to your room. Try to do a little straight thinking for the change. I'll have more to say to you later. Oh, I don't know what to do with that boy. May have to send him to some corrective school. Some place that will bludgeon a sense of the value of democracy, the free way of life into him. They're a good idea, sir. That's what we have to do with Europeans, Crawley. Ram democracy down their throats. And if they don't like it, well, by George, make them like it. Quite right, sir. Man lives not by bread alone, so they say. But I don't believe it. Starve their bellies and you can do what you want with their souls. Oh, how I fought down in Washington and shouted and begged. Yes, literally begged to make the fools see the truth. You did, sir. Mm. No, they said, we've got to cooperate. We've got to compromise. You can't sell democracy like toothpaste. You can't force an ideal. Force feathers. Exactly, sir. Crowley, you get a thing three ways. First, someone gives it to you. Secondly, if they won't give it to you, you buy it. And thirdly, if they won't sell it, and if you're strong enough... You take it anyway. That's elementary, sir. Rule of the strong. Rule of the strong, Crowley. That's the only law that's worth having in the books. Well, we're strong. And we know that our kind of democracy is what we want every other country in the world to have. Yes, sir. By thunder, we got to starve every mother's son of them till we get what we want. And uh, you and I are trying to do just that, eh, Crowley? And with admirable success, sir, that last rack was a thing of beauty. Yes, but we better lay low for a while. I didn't like something that that fellow Tracy said uh, while they were here. You mean about noticing the photograph of you pitching for the local team? Yes, he commented on the fact that I was pitching with my left hand. He and that Patton seemed to think it uh, was significant. You remember, sir, that you commented at the time of throwing the incendiary bombs that you couldn't do it if you weren't left-handed. Yes, I know, I know. I'd heard that this Tracy fellow had rather more intelligence than the average policeman, that he had, in fact, a certain sort of uh, a low animal cunning. Guess we'd better keep our eyes on him, Crowley. Who knows what opportunity may come our way. Who indeed, sir? Yes, Tracy will find out that it's one thing to tangle with robbers and pickpockets, and quite another thing to tangle with the honorable bent on malice. Definitely, sir. You know, Crowley, I shouldn't be at all surprised if Dick Tracy were to wake up dead... One time there. Well, Dick, here she comes. Yep. Right on time. Yeah, it's a uh, 464 type locomotive. Looks like a, like a Hudson. Brother, what a little information will do to you. Richard, I'll have you know that I have more to Definitely resent the implication that I'm a tyro when it comes to railroads. I learned plenty from poor old Johnson Barr. You did, eh? Then maybe you can tell me the name of that last car coming up on this freight train. Oh, that's a... Uh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I've got it. It's a papoose. You mean only Indians can ride in it? Oh. Oh, I imagine you mean caboose, and even that is only a layman's term. We railroaders prefer to call it the conductor's car. There you go, showing off again. Not at all. I'm just trying to stop you from spouting all that 464 11187. It's a mogul type mallet routine. Well, I gotta do something to relieve the tedium. Nothing's happened in five days. Trains have gone through on schedule. Benton Malice has been keeping his nose clean and sticking to his committee work. You know, it sometimes makes me wonder if we may not be off on the wrong track. No, Pat. I'm sure he's guilty. But I think he also knows that we're on to him. 
Something must have tipped him off. Well, you don't suppose his nephew said anything to him, do you? Steve? What about? We didn't say anything in front of him that could have made him suspicious. He was out of the room when we noticed the picture of Malice playing baseball left-handed. And besides, Pat, I don't think that young fellow's connected with this business at all. He seems like an awfully nice boy. Hey, I, I hope he comes to see me before we go back to town. I might be able to counteract some of the junk that the Honorable Benton is teaching him. Yes, I'd like to talk to him again myself. But I'd rather not go to Malice House for a while. Pat, I want to lull the Honorable B.M. into a sense of false security. Just as I think he's doing to his committee members. They've certainly been taking it easy lately. Not more than half of them are out on the tracks today. If it rains tonight, which it looks as though it might, I'll bet there won't be a handful out watching. Which I think is exactly what Benton Malice wants. There's a particularly heavy shipment of relief supplies due to go through the valley tonight. A shipment that I think Malice has been waiting for. Mm, so that's the way of it, is it? Mm-hmm. He'll probably drop into committee headquarters tonight and make a few casual remarks about the renegades being frightened back into their holes and that the committee has accomplished its purpose. Right. And what with the rain falling and the cold wind, there'll be quite a few who'll be only too glad to think he's right. Which means it'll be up to us. That's about it. Well, are you ready for a little excitement? Am I? <laughs> I've been getting soft on this job. Handing out parking tickets is more active work than we've had here lately. I have a feeling that that phase of it is just about over. I think you're going to get enough excitement tonight to last you a long time. <laughs> Look at that rain, Crawley. It's just what you ordered, sir. Down there in the valley, the lights glow cheerfully through the rain. A stupid fool sitting snug and dry inside. The sea was planted very cleverly, sir. Naturally. I doubt if more than two or three townsmen will be on the tracks. To be easy for you to cruise up and down the tracks once or twice, turn a safe place to strike. You're not forgetting Dick Tracy and Pat Patton, sir. Indeed, I'm not. Although I think I soon will be able to. Why, I don't follow you, sir. Crowley, I think that this may very well be their last night on Earth. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... One radio actor who puts his all into his role is Billy Redfield, star of the Willie Piper Show, which is heard over most of these ABC stations every Thursday night. Although Billy is well aware that his listening audience can't see him, he lavishes upon each line all the facial expressions and gestures that would be called for in voicing it before a live audience. Or perhaps it's because Redfield does his part so thoroughly that his performance is completely convincing. While you chuckle through the humorous situations that arise in the Piper's New England household... You're never really aware that someone is acting the Willie Piper role. Billy Redfield is Willie Piper. He's only 20 years old. Young Redfield is a veteran of 11 years' experience on Broadway and in the radio. Last season, he played the lead in the George Abbott musical comedy. Theater audiences have seen him in many popular stage vehicles. As a matter of fact, all the characters of the Willie Piper show are well cast. So when you're tuned in to Thursday night's Tales of Willie Piper... You're sure of enjoying a delightful, well-acted comedy. So listen tonight, when Willie Piper is next heard over most of these same ABC stations. And now, back to Dick Tracy. You mean, sir, that you have a scheme for killing Tracy and Patton? I certainly have. Come inside, Crowley, come inside. We have much planning to do. What plan does the vicious Benton Malice have in mind? And will Dick Tracy run up against more than he bargained for? Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy, heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is George Gunn speaking.
Imagine a candid microphone like a candid camera catching people as they are. Well, on Candid Microphone, the program presented every Thursday evening over most ABC stations, you hear unrehearsed conversations that take place anywhere on the street, restaurants, theater lobbies. When the conversations you hear actually take place, the people involved don't know that their every word is being transcribed by the man with the secret mic. Of course, no conversation is broadcast without their full consent. But you hear people speak spontaneously on subjects ranging from money to Mahatma Gandhi. Don't miss Candid Microphone tonight over most ABC stations. Preceding transcribed, this is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!